0: from time immemorial wherever jews settled first they would organize a minion and next they would arrange a place for burial our history is our treasure treasure that we keep in a humble bursting at the seams archive at the jewish federation of ottawa archives can seem inaccessible but with this podcast we're bringing the archives to you Honoring the past is one of the 613 commandments, or mitzvot, of Judaism. 613 is also the area code of Ottawa, the capital city of Canada, a city that hosts a vibrant historical Jewish community. 613 Archives is where we dig into the shelves and drawers of the Ottawa Jewish Archives for stories that bring our past into the present. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tegan Goldsmith, your host and archivist. You're listening to 613 Archives, The podcast for the Ottawa Jewish Archives. Episode 5, Ottawa's Jewish Cemeteries. What comes to mind when I say the word cemetery? Is it a positive feeling? Probably not. For many, cemeteries represent some of the saddest days of our lives. For others, it brings up feelings of discomfort and the unknown. Like archives, cemeteries are filled with mystery. I want to change that. For me, cemeteries are the connecting piece between generations in a community. They help to preserve our shared history. Each headstone is a window into the past, telling us who a person was, when they lived, and in some cases, how they lived. From the shape of a headstone to a cluster of graves, the geography of a cemetery reveals a lot about a community and its people. Ottawa's Jewish cemeteries are no exception. The history of Ottawa's Jewish cemeteries began a little over 130 years ago. The earliest records of a Jewish cemetery in Ottawa dates back to 1886, when the Society of the Sons of Jacob purchased an 83-by-133-foot plot of land from Moses Bilski on Bowesville Road. Now, let me preface this by saying that very little is known about the cemetery. Few records from this time still exist. From a few records and community lore, what we do know is that from 1886 to 1893, this plot of land was the only Jewish cemetery in the city. Prior to 1886, burials happened in Montreal, where the nearest Jewish cemetery was. This meant that when somebody died, they had to be transported the 200-kilometer journey to Montreal. For seven years, the Society of the Sons of Jacob had exclusive burial land in the city. This lasted until June 8th, 1893, when congregation Adit Yeshurun became the first synagogue in Ottawa to purchase land for a cemetery. The purchase also marked the beginning of synagogue involvement in cemetery operations. At this time, Adat Yeshurun was a newly formed congregation. Its charter had only recently been acquired by its founders. Their well-known synagogue on King Edward wouldn't be built for another 11 years. Land for the cemetery was purchased from the Spratt family. One of the primary concerns of the young congregation's leaders was the establishment, maintenance, and preservation of a Jewish burial ground. John Dover, one of the congregation's early leaders, was tasked with finding suitable land for the cemetery to be built. He ended up choosing an acre of farmland off of the Metcalf Highway, now known as Bank Street. According to legend, Dover approached Mr. James Spratt, an esteemed landowner and descendant of early Ottawa settlers, and asked to purchase the land. Dover humbly stated that he came from a, quote, poor and small congregation, unquote, and Spratt agreed to the sale since the area was so far out of city limits. The congregation paid Mr. Spratt $100 and the Bank Street Cemetery was established. Abraham Sugarman, John Dover, Abraham Spector, and Benjamin Silver acted as trustees for the congregation during the initial purchase of land. One of the first people to be buried in the Bank Street Cemetery was a young Jewish laborer who had been working downtown in the lumber mills or on a construction site. He had been killed on the job, and in a rare act of kindness, his boss paid for him to be buried on the same day. Unfortunately, not understanding Jewish traditions, his boss had buried him in a Catholic cemetery. Upon hearing about this, the community had its body disinterned and reburied in the Bank Street Cemetery. In March of 1897, for reasons unknown, Adit Yesherin obtained the Bowesville Cemetery land from the Society of the Sons of Jacob. We're uncertain if the land was purchased or given to Adit Yesherin, as conflicting sources indicate both. This land transfer came after a lawsuit agreement between the society and Moses Bilski. While we don't necessarily know the nature of the lawsuit, a copy of the agreement indicates that it was between Moses Bilski and Moses Goldstein, Samuel Kopelman, Jacob Friedman, Mr. I. Rubenstein, and the Society of the Sons of Jacob. The settlement between the two parties was reached on March 8, 1897, and stated that Moses Bilski was to return the Ten Commandments that belonged to the Society, and the Society was to pay Moses $50, and members of the Bilski family were given the right to be buried in their cemetery for the same rate as members of the Society. Two days after the agreement, the mortgage on the cemetery was discharged and handed over to Addis Yeshirin congregation. This piece of land stayed in the possession of Addis Yeshirin unchanged until 1958, when the land was sold to the Crown for $1,300. While we're not certain why the sale occurred, it is believed that it may have been under pressure from the National Capital Region to sell so that major roads could be developed in the growing city. This sale made for a difficult situation as those buried, including the Bilsky family members, needed to be exhumed and reburied in Bank Street Cemetery. Records on the exhumation, like everything else with this property, are sketchy, but the transfer did happen at some point, and they are now in the Bank Street Cemetery. For the first 14 years, the Bank Street Cemetery was owned and operated solely by Addis Yeshurun. As the community continued to grow, more congregations were established and additional land was purchased in the surrounding area for burials. In 1907, Agadah Achim Congregation purchased land, followed Mahaziki Adas in 1907, Bene Yaakov in 1928, and Agadah Israel in 1941. By 1950, the combined space of the cemetery and all its synagogue sections created 14 acres of land. For many years, each synagogue maintained its own portion of land— on April 4, 1949, a meeting was held between the five synagogues to discuss costs of maintenance, which had reached $2,200 that year. It was decided that the cost would be split based on percentage of land. Adit Yeshurun would pay 35%, Agadath Ahim would pay 25%, 17%, Bnei 14%, and Agadah Israel 9%. This arrangement stayed in place until 1976. For almost 80 years, the Bank Street Cemetery remained the only Jewish cemetery in the city, and this was becoming a problem. By 1973, Agadah Israel had run out of space for burials. Shalom, the amalgamation of the city's two oldest synagogues and owner of 35% of cemetery land, had approximately 6,000 empty plots but refused to sell any of them to any of the other synagogues. As a result, a discussion began about the building of a second cemetery in the city. This idea sparked a lot of interest with the other synagogues. Not only were the previous synagogues all beginning to run out of space, but Temple Israel, a newly established congregation, had no land for burials. A proposal was made, and Temple Israel, Agadah Israel, Young Israel, and Machaziki Adas all stepped forward to express interest in establishing a new cemetery. Beshalom, despite already having a large amount of available land, also joined in on the new cemetery. In 1973, Israel Schinder was appointed chair of the search committee. According to Mr. Schinder, more than a dozen locations were considered before the Osgood location was chosen. The cost of the land was $60,000, and development would cost another $100,000. Developing a cemetery comes with a number of preconditions. There are two major aspects that contribute to the development, finding the right land, and meeting provincial and local standards. First, land must be found that is suitable for burials, which means no heavy clay or rocky soil. It must also be a reasonable distance from the city, especially for those attending a Friday afternoon funeral. All must have enough time to get home before the Sabbath sets in. Once the location has been selected, then the process of meeting standards begins. Both the provincial and local health departments must approve of the space and the drainage situation, and the land must be rezoned for cemetery purposes. This can be a difficult process considering that cemetery land is tax-free and it's municipalities that have to approve the zoning. Finally, it must be proved that your group needs a new cemetery in order to receive a license to bury and then it must be agreed that all rules pertaining to burial and cemetery maintenance will be met. Thankfully, all these requirements were met and rezoning was approved without hassle. Development began and sections for each synagogue were created. This time, it was agreed from the beginning by all shuls that the cost of maintenance would be split equally, with each synagogue paying 20%. Each section would also reserve its own halachic rule, which is determined by the synagogue. These rules were worked out by Rabbi Bolka, Rabbi Friedman, and Rabbi Gerber. In November of 1976, the gates to the new cemetery were opened at 6549 Herbert's Corner Road in Greeley, Ontario. The community showed up for the grand ceremony, and Saul Schinder then-president of the VOD, also known as the Jewish Federation of Ottawa, officially opened the cemetery. The ceremony included the traditional burying of Sefer Torahs, prayer books, and other religious articles. While the new cemetery operated under equal percentage costs, the Bank Street Cemetery still operated under its 1949 Land Percentage Agreement. In 1976, Beth Shalom, now the amalgamation of Adat Yesherin, Agadath Ahim, and Bene Yacob, was paying 75% of the cost of maintenance at the Bank Street Cemetery in addition to the 20% they agreed to pay at the new Osgood Cemetery. They felt this was unfair and appealed to the Cemetery Committee to strike a deal with Agadat Israel. Since Beth Shalom wouldn't require the plots in the new cemetery for many years, it was agreed that Agadat Israel would cover some of the maintenance costs in Bank Street. Agadat Israel now covered 25% of the maintenance and Beth Shalom would cover 60 This agreement remained in place until 1994 when Beth shalom once again brought up issues with the land percentage agreement stating that it was unfair and stopped contributing to maintenance costs for the next 14 years each synagogue would manage its own maintenance costs israel shinder chairman of the cemeteries spent years trying to work out disputes and resolve issues amongst the respective areas in 2008 maintenance and operations for the cemeteries had come to a head Spats continued to arise over the different types of maintenance, and after many years of this system going on, Roger Greenberg and Joel Toller decided this decades-old system was no longer working and decided to bring operations for the cemetery all under one umbrella. This was the conception of the Jewish Memorial Gardens. On July 1, 2008, after 115 years of the cemeteries being synagogue-run, the Jewish Memorial Gardens took ownership and began handling all aspects of operations. With the new corporation overseeing everything, synagogues were able to retain halakhic control over the respective sections, with the Jewish Memorial Gardens handling the rest. Mayor Alvo and Lawrence Sinman, two past chairs of the Jewish Memorial Gardens, dedicated years of their time and effort into running the cemeteries. By 2012, the Bank Street Cemetery was in need of some major upgrades. There were no parking lots on the grounds, so visitors had to park on the side of the road on busy Bank Street. There were no washrooms for guests to use, no office for staff, no gardens, and few monuments. The flimsy fence out front, the only barrier from the road. In March of 2012, Irving Taylor passed away. In life, Irving and his wife Ethel had been heavily involved in the community and were extremely charitable people. When Irving passed, he left a sum of money in his will to be used in the community where it was needed the most. His son Brent was to decide where this money could be utilized. In Brent's words, his father, quote, felt his work wasn't finished, unquote. Brent assessed the needs of the community and felt that the cemetery fit the bill. It was aided by the fact that the cemetery revitalization had been discussed with Irving prior to his death. The cemetery was tired and it needed some major upgrades. It needed to become a place people were proud of. The Taylor donation was only the beginning of what Jonathan Friedman calls a response to a fundraising campaign second to none in the community. The gift allowed the Jewish Memorial Gardens to do all the planning, pricing, and create a vision of what they wanted to do. In the end, the campaign raised more than $6 million, $4 million of which went towards the renovations, and the remaining $2 million were placed in a trust. Initially, Brent was going to donate the money to the revitalization of the grounds, and that was it. But he soon realized that someone would need to coordinate all the logistics. He ended up taking on the responsibility of the project and chairing the campaign himself. Work began in 2015 and was completed by September 2016. One of the major changes was widening the roads and dealing with the trees so that a kohen could enter the cemetery. As per Jewish law, a kohen, or a Jewish priest, is forbidden from coming into contact or being under the same enclosed roof or covering as the dead. Prior to the renovation, the roads were not wide enough for a kohen to enter, and the trees at the cemetery entrance had overgrown and hung over, creating a canopy roof. This improvement allowed a rabbi, who was also a kohen, to enter the cemetery to perform a funeral either from the road or from a gazebo. In addition to the roads, signage was added labeling each synagogue section of the cemetery. The garden portion of the Jewish Memorial Gardens was added as well as a beautiful reflecting area where families and friends could sit quietly. A memorial for veterans was added, and the Holocaust Memorial added in the 1970s was moved into a new area where people could access it better. The last major piece, which took six months to complete, was the clearing of trees at the back of the property. This opened up space for 2,000 new graves. The revitalization also included the reinstating of monuments that had fallen over the years. The trial run for the Jewish Memorial Gardens happened on Father's Day in 2016. In Jonathan Friedman's words, quote, it was as if the people using the cemetery had received instructions from landscape architect Jerry Korish himself, unquote. Everything he talked about in his plans for the Jewish Memorial Gardens happened, and the setup was perfect. For the first time, families had the opportunity to visit the graves of their loved ones and then stick around after. The Jewish Memorial Gardens offered places for people to sit, decompress, and reflect in a peaceful and beautiful environment. Today, Ottawa still has two cemeteries that serve the Jewish community. In the last 130 years, there have been around 5,500 to 6,000 burials, averaging around 75 per year. So much of our history can be found in these two locations. From Ottawa's first Jewish settlers to our well-known community builders, each headstone tells a story of someone who lived here and made a difference. The Jewish Memorial Gardens consists of one staff member, Executive Director Tammy Toronto, and an extremely dedicated volunteer board. When someone in the community passes, it's a community effort. Tammy collaborates with the synagogue, rabbi, Hevra Kadisha, and the funeral home to make the experience as easy as possible for the family. The Hevra Kadisha, a volunteer-run organization, prepares the body for burial. Ottawa is actually one of the few cities in North America who don't need a professional undertaker because they do such a wonderful job. Jonathan Friedman, past chair of the board, spoke about the amazing people who have put their heart and soul into the cemeteries over the years. Two in particular that he mentioned were John Diener and Jaime Reichstein. Both joined the board in the late 2000s, but have been involved with the cemetery since the early 2000s. Both keen genealogists, John and Jaime embarked on a project in 2003 to digitize and create a database of graves of both cemeteries. The intention was to create a resource for people performing family history as well as provide a concise record of the graves. In 2003, the Jewish Memorial Gardens hadn't yet been created, which meant if anyone was looking for information on a particular grave, they had to approach the relevant synagogue for access. For the rest of that year, every Wednesday and Sunday morning, John and Jaime could be found walking around either cemetery, taking pictures of the graves and recording their information. By 2004, all graves had been recorded and a concise list created. This list is now available online through the Jewish Memorial Gardens website, and it is an invaluable resource for researchers and especially for the archives. It features the location of the grave, a map for directing visitors to it, a photo of the monument, as well as the death date. The website also notes whether the grave is for an Allied Forces veteran, a Holocaust survivor, or an IDF veteran. Every year, the Jewish Memorial Gardens honors the memories of survivors and veterans by marking the appropriate graves with Canadian flags for Remembrance Day and with Israel flags for Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron. Every fall, the online database is updated with new graves from the last year. In addition to the graves database, in 2004, the Ottawa Jewish Historical Society began recording eulogies at funerals and donating copies to the Ottawa Jewish Archives and the families of the deceased. The first eulogy was recorded on July 27, 2004, at the funeral of High Soloway. To date, the archives holds close to 500 eulogies in CD and digital format. These recordings are always available to the public, and it can be accessed by contacting the archives. Another service the Jewish Memorial Gardens has is giving headstones to those with unmarked graves. Five to six years ago, the gardens noticed a number of unmarked graves in the cemetery and decided to do something about it. A policy was initiated that when somebody passes away, a monument deposit is collected from the family, and if a headstone isn't installed within two years of the passing, the Jewish Memorial Gardens will place a small engraved stone with the grave. The goal is to have every grave marked in the cemetery. When performing research for this episode, I asked everyone I interviewed what they wanted people to take away from the episode, and the messages were all along the same lines. Visiting the cemeteries won't bring you bad luck. Prepare before you pass and the cemeteries are for everyone. The cemeteries and the Jewish Memorial Gardens are what they are today because of the dedication of the people in our community. From the founding members to the board today, those who have had a hand in shaping these sacred spaces have left an impact on every generation that has lived in our beautiful city. Over the past 130 years, our community has changed drastically, but these plots of land have remained a constant. The next time you're driving down Bank Street, or you're in the Greeley area, I encourage you to stop by the cemetery. Walk amongst the headstones, read out each name, and acknowledge the lives lived. Give yourself the opportunity to stand amongst our community's history and feel the generations that came before. I promise you, they have a story to tell. 613 Archives has been brought to you by the Ottawa Jewish Archives. This episode was written by Archivist Tegan Goldsmith, and produced by Hotshoe Productions. For more information on the Ottawa Jewish Archives, find us on Facebook or visit our website at jewishottawa.com/Ottawa Jewish Archives. Special thanks to Jonathan Friedman, Brent Taylor, John Diener, Tammy Toronto, and Jaime Reichstein for taking the time to speak with me, and to Israel Schinder for his invaluable 2001 lecture on the history of the cemeteries. We'd also like to thank the children of Sid Cohen for funding this episode and for their continued support.